0: BioWare. Uh, this is Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts, alongside Kenneth Shepard, and uh, we just wanted to start tonight with a message before we got into it. Uh, if y'all have been paying attention to what's been going on in the news, you've seen what's been happening, protests erupting throughout the U.S. Uh, in protests of police brutality and the deaths of people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and so we... And Normandy FM just wanted to voice our support for those of you who are out there, for those of you who are supporting the protests, for those of you who see the obvious injustice in this world. We'd say definitively here that black lives matter. And we see every day the way that this injustice affects not only us, but more importantly, the people that we know and love, the black people that we know and love in our lives, and it's not an easy time for anyone, but now is the most important time for us to to speak up and evade, to make those those voices heard, to make a difference, to educate, to change hearts and minds and hopefully affect change in this country that has been broken for a long time. And it's this is our chance to say enough's enough. So with that on our minds, I just want to say that we are going to continue podcasting. We are going to continue doing our best to feature a diverse range of voices to feature the best criticism and discussion that we can on this show. We will not ever shy away from politics on it. We will not ever shy away from the realities of the world that affect the way that we view these games. But we hope that if you come here, if you come to our podcast every week and you're looking for even just a little bit of reprieve or just a friendly discussion between people about something that they love to talk about, that they love to critique, that they love to discuss and, and spending time with each other laughing and learning that we can provide that for you uh, in this time. Uh, Ken, did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
1: No, I think you covered it.
0: Okay. Um, with that out of the way, uh i, I want to thank you all for for tuning in so much i'm I'm sorry to start on such a somber note but it is important that we acknowledge what's going on in the world because uh we're at a point in dragon age where i'm gonna be honest can things start to feel a little bit real in some uh stories especially when mm-hmm. we get to talking about one character that we're talking about tonight which is uh anders mm-hmm. and uh, today our, our scheduled episode is that we're going to talk about the Act 2 companion quests for Verrick, uh, Sebastian and Anders. And that will round out our Act two discussions. and we're gonna start with Verrick, who is kind of the mainstay of Hawk throughout all of this, right? He's like the pal. he's the, I don't want to call him a toady, <laughs> but he is he is the the bro, the pal, the uh, when Hawk is there, and and even later on in Inquisition when the Inquisitor is there but especially for Hawk uh when Hawk is there Varric's there and I feel like in act two we finally got some real glimpses of characterization of who he is as a person beyond just being this narrative device to push things forward like he was in act one
1: it's honestly kind of weird to like imagine that there is a scenario where like you can be in a rivalry relationship with Varric and like you don't like each other because they just Hawk and Varric so naturally seem to have like almost like, almost like a, a Garrus equivalent relationship for Dragon Age that I don't think really exists in any other games. Um, well, I don't know about that. You
0: can't have sex with Varric, which is in, in some people's opinion, they would say it's a crime. You know, it's, it is what it is. But <laughs> it's the chest hair. <laughs> it is the chest hair. And Bianca, she's jealous. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could call it like a Garrus relationship. I think of it almost more like Joker. And mm. I mean, obviously, Joker doesn't come with you on on the way missions and stuff. But I feel like Garrus's relationship with Shepard is a little bit more, um, like, like it's it's almost mandatory in a way because the game really does enforce that garris will be with Shepard, uh at least in two of the games i i mean garris is one of the missable ones in mass effect one i believe right you right. can theoretically not get garris although you'd really have to go out of your way to not get garris um uh, but he is still mandatory in two of the other games and when they introduce him they're always like hey yeah it's, it's garris you know garris we all know and love him uh whereas with varic he's more like when he pops up in dragon age two he kind of attaches himself to hawk recognizing that hawk is a person that's going to do things in in kirkwall and that he should be around for the ride and the same sort of happens with the inquisitor and so i see i see Varric is more of he's he's there to tell the story wherever it's the most interesting right um mm-hmm. he's almost more like especially in Dragon Age 2, he's like the character in a play, like a, a Shakespearean play that's like the narrator slash the one that like speaks mm. to an audience in a play. Uh, and he does do a little bit of fourth wall breaking that we see in this act. But the thing I like about Varric is that normally when you have that sort of character, one who's breaking the fourth wall, who is an inherently unreliable narrator, you end up dealing with a lot of very... Uh, for lack of a better term like deadpool style things mm. where it's just a lot of jokes about how meta things are and oh so am i telling the truth or am i not telling the truth you'll have to choose kaiser soze and all that but uh sorry ken that's a reference for a movie you have not seen because <laughs> you have not seen movies before the year 2000 and not enough people know that um <laughs> that's not true Wait, what? Okay, what movies from before the year two thousand have you seen?
1: Uh, Toy Story.
0: What when, ones that are not Disney movies? Toy
1: Story. That's well, Pixar, the king of Pixar. Does it? I saw all the yeah. fucking Star Wars movies. Oh, okay. Um, I don't fucking know.
0: Ken, you should watch The Usual Suspects. It's a very good movie. It mm. it it does star regrettably Kevin Spacey, but mm, okay. uh, it stars several other very good actors and it's maybe one of the best unreliable narrator movies that I've ever seen. It's, mm. it's quite good. Um, But with Varric they actually end up using his narrator status to do some more interesting things I would say and, and maybe like show how Varric himself uses storytelling to cope with parts of his right. life that are difficult. So to kind of jump into it we'll start with uh a quest cult. um i mean he has a few quests that you just kind of get from talking to him right same as other companions where you just kind of go it's it's been three years let's have an update because apparently we don't talk a lot with each other outside of that gap in time that mysteriously mm-hmm. happened um so we have the uh we have the plans for the future where we just kind of talk about what Hawk is planning to do while they're in Kirkwall. And they can do all kinds of different things where they talk about what they want to do with the money that they got from uh, their quest into the deep roads. Uh, whether that's going to be uh, just taking care of my family, I want to get into politics, uh, I'd like to buy a business, I want a title. You can kind of do all sorts of different things. And the same kind of goes with uh some other things that you talk to him about here i mean he has one later on well past the um well past the actual uh companion quest you do with him called uh friendly concern where you can talk to him about your love interest uh and we actually we saw that one on stream the other night when i was playing uh Mm -hmm. that he he mentions that oh you and daisy have been spending a lot of time together in Meryl's sweet but that's a whole lot of crazy and you can yeah. <laughs> you can do the the really fun line that my sarcastic hawk gave to him was uh I don't know what I've ever done to give you the impression that I don't like a little bit of crazy <laughs> um but it's it's kind of interesting that Varric is the one that takes so much interest in who your romantic partner is and what you're doing with your life that he has actual quests just about it, like about talking to you about you. Right. Right. How did, how did yours go with, with Fenris or were you, were you at this point with Fenris or, or with Anders or where was the sort of romance thing happening there?
1: I was still in the, so, okay. We did talk about this last week. There is a point where you break up with Fenris or he breaks up with you rather. Um, the game in general doesn't do a very good job of acknowledging that, except for, like, between the two of you specifically, like, if you and Fenders are having a conversation, like, there are kind of, like, references to, oh, there's something unresolved between us. Where everyone else just kind of talks about the relationship as if it's still going on, and it's, like, a weird thing. But, yeah, he's, like, he says something along the lines of, like, you know, he's, like, covered in spikes with those armor. He's, like, an angry porcupine or something. And then, you know, you can basically give a similar thing. as like, oh, that sounds perfect for me. And, I don't know, it was a... Like it, it is isn't it is a very uh sweet scene in the context of probably any other romance, but this one it was just kind of like we aren't in a relationship anymore, so why is everybody talking to us like we are?
0: That's that's the weird thing. I I had similar issues because I slept with Isabella and made it like very clear it was a fling, and then uh, later romance Meryl, but there was a gap in time between those two events. So during mm. that time between sleeping with Isabella and Uh, entering, you know, locking in the romance for lack of a better term. With Meryl, the game and companions would constantly assume that I was dating Isabella. Uh, Leandra would say like, oh, you and that pirate gal and and even when I did Aveline's companion quest, she said something to the effect of like, oh, how do you and Isabella make it work or whatever. And so the game is kind of weird about that in places and I understand again, this is a case where I actually looked this up the other day that this game is now nine years old. Mm -hmm. Um, It was 2011 that it came out. Uh, I'm double-checking that to make absolutely sure, but I'm pretty sure on that. (laughs) Um, And even for nine years old there are parts of this game where i go i can't believe they were thinking like this i can't believe they're putting these systems together this is stuff that we don't even see in modern games today in terms of how complex these relationships and these choices can get but at the same time you can also see some of the age in that you know ultimately there are only like four romance options which is how they kind of limit some of the variables there and also uh you know you can do a thing that will kind of be a romance even though contextually canonically it may not and i kind of wish that they had anticipated that and maybe had lines for hawk and for other people that reflected like oh you've been having one night stands with so-and-so and stuff like that or oh i know you and what's his face were are on again off again and stuff like that
1: Yeah, there i know that there are like at least, like a couple instances, and we can talk about them more later when we get to Anders. Where, like, if say you were in a relationship with Fenris, and then when there's that breakup, you go to Anders, Anders will be like, You were an idiot to leave Hawk, etc. And, but yeah, I think in general, like, the, the fluidity with which you can go through all these relationships doesn't necessarily get represented very well with the dialogue that they have in place so it kind of just is like who have you associated with most recently gets kind of like priority yeah. in some of these conversations I've seen there's actually like
0: a tiered list somewhere that like depending on the choices you make if you have someone move in with Hawk that like locks them mm-hmm. in as the romance and you cannot romance anyone else after that but there are like tier there's a tier system and i know because i found a subsection where people were like gaming it out how to sleep with everyone in a single (laughs) playthrough and i respect those thirsty bisexual disasters so much they are (laughs) they are heroes and we respect them and we honor them on this podcast uh braver than the troops (laughs) um yeah it's it's interesting but I, all of that is framed through Varrick and this idea that he's this character who cares so much about you and at, at times Varrick almost feels as much like an extension of the player who's trying to turn the camera lens around and learn more about hawk it's like it's a way for the game to say okay you're going to define your hawk now what is your hawk care about what is your hawk have dreams about what is your hawk uh fall in love for Like what, you know, not just who do they fall in love for, but what about them? Mm. What about that person is the reason why they fall in love? I think that's all very interesting because it provides this way to role play, even with a character that is prefab to some extent, right? Mm. You know, we don't get to name this person. We don't get to pick their origin. Hawk is very much more a Commander Shepard than they were like a warden uh, in that there's like so much more happening. I know Poe. (laughs) <laughs> it's, um, it's I, I find that really cool that they say okay, if we're going to have a character that is prefab to some extent that is established in some way we should probably have some sort of way to have someone <laughs> still define themselves in that role uh, but Varric finally does get to shine once we get into the matter of uh, taking care of some family business so, <laughs> oh, yes, we're going to take care of family business, Poe. <laughs> <It's, laughs> um, man, this is fun. Poe has not been a guest on the podcast in some time, and he has is, he is come out. hes
1: It's Varric. brings bring that out. Yeah, then.
0: it is. It is Varric. Um, so after a while, after we've completed one of the first main plot quests, we can head to the Hangman and talk to Varric. And we can discuss some things because there's obviously something on his mind. And as we come to learn, uh, he's got some info about Bartrand. Uh, Bartrand has finally surfaced again. Uh, Varric has heard he's back in the city and he's holed up in some mansion somewhere. And obviously Varric is seeing red. He wants to uh, get some revenge for what happened back in Act 1. And as with all things in Dragon Age 2... It, it does come back around to the ideas of family, the ideas of what you end up calling family and who, mm. what means what to you. Uh, that's something that I've been ruminating a lot about in the past few playthroughs I've done is how this game uh, portrays the ideas of family and what family is to these different characters because you have characters like Meryl who are ostracized from their families and and have to either find new ones or try and accept that they were never really part of one to begin with Uh, and you have others like hawk who their family is together at the start of dragon Mm. age (laughs) 2 i I think it's really interesting that dragon age 2 is the story of families falling apart in some ways like you see a lot of these characters who their family lives fall apart and like maybe it's just because i recently played the game if found as well and so I'm like thinking about the ideas that that game had, and the way it portrayed families in that game versus how it's being portrayed in Dragon Age Two. But If Found, by the way, very wonderful game uh, from published by Annapurna. I can't remember who developed it off the top of my head, but it's very good. Poe, yes, I hear you. <laughs> I'm telling them about If Found. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's it's interesting that Varric's big really his largest personal conflict comes here in act two and we have to kind of deal with it and so we head on over to uh high town and infiltrate the estate
1: and lo and behold (laughs) i know i'm trying here i'm gonna i'm gonna pet poe while i talk and hope at least he makes cute noises lily's over here just like rubbing up against stuff like coughing and huffing and puffing and i'm like why can't you Actually, I can't can't think of any cute sounds that dogs make because they just bark and make noise.
0: Yeah, they do. But Poe is adorable. Isn't that right, Poe? You're so cute. Yes, you are. Mm. He's getting his cheeks rubbed right now so he won't talk. (laughs) Um, We head over to Bartren's estate in Hightown, and the way this mission starts is just fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. This whole sequence where you bust in as Varric and you're you're like super powered you're taking everything down in a single shot you're just like blazing through the the estate and when you finally uh come up on a, a bartrand he's like begging forgiveness mm. and stuff like that he's, he's oh i'm sorry and uh that's when it uh Sing- singing very praises like you're so yeah. handsome and very smart yeah and then it bumps back out and cassandra's going okay tell tell me the the, ken have you ever heard this this story okay so jesus and moses are playing a game of golf all right okay all right and don't worry this has a reason this is one of my favorite thing stories to tell uh jesus and moses are playing around a golf and moses hits his first shot it's a great shot right onto the green he's within putting distance of an eagle it's a wonderful hit so jesus looks at this and he hits the ball and as he hits the ball it lands out in the rough he's nowhere near the green and so he looks up to the sky and says father assist me father give me what i need and the rain comes down and it brings down a ravine and brings the golf ball down the rough and then an earthquake shakes and rattles the golf ball all the way down towards the hole and then thunder claps overhead and it sends the ball flying into the air and down into the hole and Jesus turns and says a hole in one and Moses says okay are we here to play golf or are we here to fuck around (laughs) and that's what I thought of with Cassandra here are you hmm. here to tell me the story or are we here to fuck around? <laughs> and, oh um, man. Yeah. So all that said, uh, I, I love this interjection because it has been, depending on when you play this mission, a hot minute since you've been reminded that this whole story is being told to yep. Cassandra by Varric. And it's a really fun mm-hmm. way to not just incorporate Varric's status as narrator, but build a little bit on who he is as a person because once Cassandra's like, okay, tell me the real story, Varric's whole demeanor changes. He goes from being Mm -hmm. this very confident, suave storyteller who's telling this great tale of heroism to because the truth is much darker than you think it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when we go in and and we realize that this party had to fight through room after room of crazed guards who were driven mad by lyrium and as they fight through and talk to more and more people we end up coming upon a uh, hugan who is the kind of the last living person in the house uh after bartred left uh he started hearing all these voices from the lyrium idol guess you forgot about the lyrium idol guess what's back um turns out that Bartrand was affected by it in some way uh and even after he sold it he could still he was being driven mad by it and so he started uh torturing his guards cutting pieces of them feeding them lyrium which obviously like you know Templar only I, I think they only like inhale lyrium dust or something they never really go into it but um Templar do use lyrium but in small doses and, and the the sense that we get is that he's like feeding them lyrium um, and as we fight further in uh, we, we find Bartrand himself and he's just not even there anymore he's a completely different person and we do end up having to fight him no matter what you do have to fight him but uh after we've killed all his men and taken bartran down uh we either are left with the choice to either kill him or try to i guess stop the the death from happening we do have an alternate option here uh if anders is here uh anders can use healing arts to bring bartran kind of back a little bit but it's only temporary, and he's still in need of a lot of help. And I think this presents some really interesting decisions and some really interesting ways that this mission goes. So for me, I had Anders with me. So Same. I I, I allowed him to heal Bartrand. I told him to heal Bartrand and then said uh, we should not kill Bartrand now. Right. We should try and... Help him get better, even though we both really hate him right now. Uh, so it sounds like we both came to the same mm. conclusion then.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and some of that is like, yeah, we have the advantage of knowing how this plays out, um, knowing what the options are. But one of the interesting things here is that depending on depending on whether you heal him or not, if you kill Bartrand without healing him, it's a friendship plus fifteen. If you kill Bartrand after healing him, it's a rivalry plus 15. And if you allow him to live without healing, it's rivalry. And if you heal him and then allow him to live, it's a friendship. And I think specifically that first part is really interesting. That that decision to kill him is so... It, it hinges so much on whether Bartrand is healed. And I feel like that speaks to who Varric is. Mm. That in that moment, he wants just to kill he wants to get his revenge and walk away and healing bartrand in a way ends up kind of bringing him back to his senses as well and going like this is my brother whereas before before he was healed it's not even recognizable um and it's a tough mission it's it's interesting to see Varric like struggle with those things as well and and the mission that begins afterwards you get to end up talking uh, to Varric about what happened and you can kind of be like hey you know how's it going to go like and Bartrand will be very or Varric will be very honest with you that Bartrand like will need help for the rest of his life and he kind of makes a joke about like thanks for giving that to me and all that but um it's interesting because I feel like there's there's like this unspoken thing shown there in Varric that he's like he, he appreciates what's what's been done even though it was the harder thing to do and right. and even he has to wrestle with it he doesn't like it i mean this is a person that left him for dead right mm. um but it's also his brother and you can see him kind of wrestle with that a lot um i almost wish there was more of it in this game i feel like Varric does not get as much time to shine as other characters in this game and even then he still shines more than he does in inquisition uh, I can't remember off the top of my head even what he does in Inquisition. So,
1: <laughs> damn, uh, yeah, fired.
0: I'm just, I'm just saying, like other characters in that game pop more. Maybe it's because Varric was a repeat, or maybe it's because I didn't use Varric much because I had Sarah in my party most of the time. But mm. uh, it's that's that's just kind of how I ended up feeling about that character in Inquisition. But with Varric here, I feel like this is the most humanity we get out of this character. Uh, in the game is is this mm. mission. At least in the act, maybe, at least up to Maybe this I don't maybe I don't remember act 3 well. That's also totally possible. I'm I'm yeah. happy to be
1: proven wrong in that respect. Mm. Um yeah, it, it is kind of unfortunate though that this is one of the only missions where you get this kind of like having a specific sort of party makeup can have drastically different uh like different outcomes in different contexts yes, For like yeah. things like, even—I'm not really sure, like, off the top of my head, like, what other things— Like, say, for example, like, the Merrill mission, like, if we had had— Like, if you have Anders, or you are a hawk that has healing spells, that you could have maybe saved Paul, and something kind of been different there. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, it's a very underutilized thing, I think. Like, you do have, like, you know, these various points where, like, you can call on uh, a companion to maybe, like, help interrogate somebody, or, you know, inter- intervene in some way or another— but it doesn't feel like you get something that has this long-standing effect otherwise than this, other than this
0: yeah it's I mean, like you said, there are other missions where having somebody along for the ride ends up changing the outcome, ends up changing things that happen, but ultimately this is maybe the, the most of, of the largest deviation, for sure Yeah, like yeah. Varric is
1: basically a different person by the end depending on which one of the things you do Let's, least... let's put
0: it this way this is a choice that ends up being reflected in the keep yeah. It's it's a choice that you make in the keep and just about any choice that you make in the keep even though the so that for those who are not of the know yet the dragon age keep is the uh let's call it like save creating storytelling mm-hmm. suite that they developed uh ahead of dragon age inquisition because of the way that dragon age had been split uh, by generations unlike mass effect so going into inquisition there were probably a lot of people who wanted to import their saves from origins and to say hey i want this reflected in some way and so ea made this program called the keep where you could create your save world and you could import it from previous games as well uh, or you could prefab them as you wanted and basically say like, okay, this is this is what happened. These are the choices that my hawk made. These are the choices that my warden made. Uh, this is the state of my world as I want it going into a game. And I think, can you only import it into Dragon Age Inquisition?
1: Uh, so far, um, uh, like, yeah, there are. So I guess like another thing to bring up, is, like for Inquisition specifically, they have that linked like to the game itself. Like you can't go in and like make choices that you didn't unlock in game. So yes. they, I assume that they are going to use that for whatever Dra- Dragon Age Four is, and like, because that is presumably going to be a, like the next generation as well. So like, there's not going to be a simple, you know, save file to pull from like there was in Mass Effect.
0: Yeah, with the timing window that's expected for Dragon Age Four, it's definitely. I, I would say it would be strange for it to not be next gen. Please. Blog writers out there, don't let me see headlines tomorrow (laughs) about Eric Reynolds. Like, come on, let's all be intelligent for a second and look at what year it's going to be and say, yeah, if they made that for the PS4 that year, that'd be a little strange. But (laughs) um, it's, they'll definitely need to use the keep again. So that's why I like emphasize that is that there are choices in, in Dragon Age that you can make in the keep that are not impactful and usually like the size of the icon Will reflect like how large of a choice it is and generally. Uh, when you're in the keep, there are like various icons, and each of them kind of have differing size. And you know, one may be really large, and that's like the big choice for a quest. And then there may be like tiny ones next to it, where it's like, did this side character do a thing or not? And it, you know, those, those end up mostly being smaller, uh, with the exception of say like a couple from Origins that I can think of off the top of my head, like uh, Dagna. I want to say her name was. Uh, mm-hmm. That ends up being a pretty significant choice in Inquisition that just kind of pops out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> but it's. Um, for the most time, like this, this is like a larger choice in Dragon Age 2. Not as large as like an act ending choice, but it is a notable choice. And so I think it ends up ultimately, like you said, changing who Varric is. Mm-hmm. And it also reflects that you get a mission after this. And the name of the mission and the nature of the mission will change depending on whether you have friendshiped him or mm. rivalried him. So I, I can't imagine what, like you said, a rivalry with, with Varric is even like, you know, I'm opening this page that tells me what it is about. Uh, and um, he talks about a rumor going around. I'm reading this off of the Dragon Age fandom wiki. After you begin the dialogue with Varric, he talks about a rumor going around. A uh, Band of pirates tried to burn the Chandra down in the middle of the night. Um, buh, 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 buh. While we know Varric is telling a story to Cassandra, we see the beginnings of the Champion of Kirkwall unfold, and the Hawk learns that Varric is telling tales. Um, yeah, it's even weird that in the context of, you know, you have the, like I mentioned way long ago with Varric, uh, you have his like companion skill tree and on friendship and rivalry at the top it's like Varric is the only one who could tell your tale and then on rivalry it's like Varric is the only one who could tell your tale whether you want him to or not and it's like what is I don't know what the difference is there and I don't know what the rivalry difference is there like the way that they frame it depending on whether you support them or not I I might do some extra well- reading to try and get a little sense of that
1: but But i've noticed that like in certain scenes where like the like the transitional scenes where like it goes back to like varic and cassandra talking there'll be points where he feels like like he says things like i owe it to hawk to tell like to have the story be told and like i imagine that if you're a rival maybe there's a little bit more of like a cynical kind of twist to what he says like maybe it's just kind of like well, you wanted me to tell you the the true story of the champion, and I'm sorry that he's not the hero you thought he was, or something along those lines. Mm.
0: I see. It's interesting. Um, Way more interesting than Sebastian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so for me, this is my first time ever encountering the character Sebastian. Uh, Obviously, I never played the the DLC for Dragon Age 2, so this is my first time dealing with Sebastian as a character. Uh, and so in act two he has the companion quest called repentance which uh sucks is,
1: yeah it's, it's okay. first so of all, it laughably
0: sucks. bad first of all it does suck second of all um it's really so he gets like two missions as i understand this if you don't count duty which is just kind of doing the uh the quests for him and all that so really if you don't if you don't count that there are like two missions for sebastian one in act two and one in act three right hmm. um and and then you have duty in act one Jesus uh he I mean, look it i can't blow past it that many times and not laugh all right mm-hmm. i was doing good i was doing my duty shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> uh look we are a podcast of multitudes here (laughs) um repentance so look i also just don't like sebastian's character okay because his Mm. whole can we just get into this can we just like preface this with this sebastian's whole character is that he went to join the chantry he was basically sent to join the chantry because he was like the unwanted son right Mm. He, he was the son i mean this is like a tale as old as uh monarchies, you know, th- the idea that the first son is the heir, the second son is the backup, and the third son is the one that gets sent off to like the clergy or to I don't know uh just some random part of the world or gets married off in some way that makes it so that he can't create problems, right? Because you want the heir who takes over, you want the backup for when the heir is stupid and dies, and, <laughs> and then you want the third son and the thing is, you don't want that third son to be in a place where they can suddenly make problems and start some sort of conflict for the monarchy. All right? That's like Monarchy 101. You know, in the textbook. It's mm-hmm. classroom monarchy. <laughs> so Sebastian is that, like, unwanted son. Uh, he, he is that one who went off to the Chantry. But he is also now, like, a contender for the princehood uh, of the the veils, right? He is mm-hmm. the prince of Starkhaven, uh, supposedly. And uh, he suddenly decides that even while he's in the Chantry and he's embracing the Chantry and he wants to be a part of the Chantry, he also decides that, hey, I want to rule. <laughs> and so uh, you, you help him go and get some... I mean, God, why are we even going to the estate again? Is this still part of his revenge quest, or is this actually Uh, part of him
1: getting his title back? He finds out that this this noble family were the people that sent the people that killed his family. Yeah, yeah.
0: He finds out that the, the Harrimans were part of the whole plot against his family that ended up getting his family killed and put him in line. So we go over to the Harriman estate and... We we fight through and, and we find that things are amiss. There's of course demon stuff going around everywhere. All the different members of the Harriman estate are kind of engaging in different uh, vices and are kind of enraptured by different demons. Uh, there's there's one who's just constantly drinking. There's one who's uh, constantly boning. <laughs> there's there's one who's um it's like he's like filling the filling the servants with gold or something like he keeps pouring gold on the servants or something Mm -hmm. i I forgot what it was it was pretty messed that last one was pretty messed up the other two was like okay one's just getting drunk and the other one's just you know heading on down to Spangtown. but (laughs) this last person's doing some messed up stuff should probably address this uh and as we we go down into the basement and into the the suddenly caves beneath the harriman estate we find a desire demon and Lady Harriman herself uh, who we soon discover is a blood mage and made a deal with the desire demon to uh, upend the Vale family and there's this whole dialogue about, oh, but demons just grant what people desire yeah. so Lady Harriman desired the death. This was not unintended. She desired the death of the Veils and all that. Um and you know really whatever you do you gotta end up fighting them and killing them and you can just kind of make choices that Sebastian agrees with or doesn't agree with but ultimately you will have to kill them either way and, and then you can kind of talk to the Harriman the siblings on the way back out you go back to the uh, Chantry and you just kind of talk to Sebastian you're like hey do you want to take over and after all and all that and Ken i just i'm speeding through this because it is just so freaking pointless and silly and when, it, when i think about okay I, I i approach the dlc in this way this is some sort of content that is either interesting and engaging or the maybe was felt to be critical to the telling of the story right so like you think of javik in mass effect 3 that's mm. having the prothean that's pretty critical to contextualizing the story of mass effect 3 adding some depth to it uh you even look at oh, okay zaid like zaid's not critical to the plot of mass effect 2 but is zaid's loyalty mission pretty damn memorable yeah it is it's a pr- i think it's a pretty memorable loyalty mission if for no other reason than that last shot and him like run around just being like vago <laughs> um even kasumi's loyalty mission pretty memorable even though kasumi does not get a lot of screen time in mass effect and god i don't like sebastian as a character i just don't Mm -hmm. like sebastian i have not they have not given me a reason to care about sebastian let me just put it that succinctly i don't care about sebastian i don't care whether he gets his throne back i think this dude is stuck up in so many ways he is uptight. He's also a member of the Chantry, and he really loves the Chantry. And throughout most of Dragon Age Two, you're learning about how much the Chantry sucks. So,
1: mm. ugh, it just feels very superfluous. Like it, it's it's on a scale bigger than Dragon Age Two ever is, and like, and it's not even like necessarily relevant to like the city of Kirkwall. It's just like this dude who was the ruler of a place, like, near uh, us, I guess. Like, yes. why why, yeah. why do I need, like, why should I care about the state of a kingdom I'm never going to set foot in? Like, we still have, yes. like, for all of the, <laughs> and, you know, there's some stuff that's going to happen, like, at the very end of this game that's, like, makes it seem like Sebastian could be, like, a force in future Dragon Age games. That hasn't panned out. And, you know, knowing the way that the Dragon Age series tends to go, it probably won't. It just, he feels so, like, his entire storyline feels more on the sidelines than a DLC character in a Bioware game typically does, and it also doesn't help that I don't give a shit about him, that he sucks, that he, like, is this fucking churchgoer in a universe that has given us every reason to be wary of that.
0: They don't give you a reason for wanting to like him, either. Like, I feel their characterization of him as as a chaunt member, like, he doesn't the dialogues that you have with him don't seem to like give you reason to want to support his side. Like it it almost makes me wonder what an actual Templar companion would be. And I think that actually sticks out to me a lot is that while you have different characters in Dragon Age who are Templar adjacent, they've never just straight up stuck a Templar in your party. Right. Right. And that's because Templar in some way always ends up being an aggressor right whereas mages can operate a little bit more in the gray than a templar can and sebastian's probably the closest actual thing more than alistair that we get to a templar character because this is a chantry member and anytime you do anything involving like magic or stuff like that he falls on the templar side of things like flat out Mm. so he's yeah it's he's not given Context. He's not given reason for me to care about him. And when he's this additional character that's added on, you would think it would build up the story in some way. I'm glad you mentioned that like Starkhaven is outside Kirkwall because we've talked so much about like me personally, I like this game a lot because of that focus on Kirkwall, that focus on the city and the internal city politics. And all of a sudden here comes dudley do right (laughs) who's like oh i'm here to get back my claim to the monarchy would you like to help me my family was shot. (laughs) it's like no dude get out i don't want to help you there's like bigger shit Mm. happening i don't care that you're deposed man if anything i want to depose you (laughs) Uh,
1: do you want to talk about the fact that he's technically romanceable like
0: yeah i guess if you want to have the most sexless romance in a game that's ever existed
1: (laughs) yeah like he's the only he's the only person in this game that is not by that's not by so like you have to be a female hawk and you have to like you can't literally can't flirt with anybody else and he won't
0: open the deli man he won't he's not arby's he's got no meats for you all right it's mm. It's, oh it makes me mad
1: like there's probably like a very like a subset of a subset of a subset of people who might find that particular relationship interesting but why are in, they
0: playing a bioware game like
1: that that is my that is exactly where i'm going with this like in a game that is like as corny and sexy as like a, as dragon age 2 is why would you go for this boy who won't even touch you like
0: and and let's let's be real clear i i want to be clear about this i'm not I'm not putting words in your mouth or anything but um the issue is not specifically that you can't fuck this dude all right like right. that's that's not the issue I think if Bioware wanted to tell an honest to god uh asexual romance right. that would be intriguing i feel like and th- that even... is not what
1: this is that is like the, the, that is one thing like yeah this there's is... like they're even like the, the throwaway lines of like oh I need to go pray so i don't have sex with you now and okay that's it's it's like a comedy bit it's like
0: it's like he should be just be like oh i need a cold shower and his voice should crack and stuff like that like and uh, that's that's the other thing that weirds me out about this is when you think of again a dlc character should add right right to to really experience what this character Is offering in that regards you would have to start a whole new playthrough and like completely cater your playthrough to this character and at Mm -hmm. at least from act two and from what i understand of what happens in act three i've not yet played that companion quest but i i know of like one thing that does happen there uh which is the return of a certain notable character but um it's it doesn't feel rewarding in any way to like care about this character because i don't feel that care would be in any way reciprocated right and uh, like layer on top of that that you you've received an archer uh who for me personally i don't need another rogue in my party mm. um you know and also you have Veric, who is like this character that is very much the companion to hawk and they gave you another character who does sort of the same things that Varric does, I don't find... like It's like they give you another sniper after they already gave you Garrus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, Garrus is the sniper. That's what Garrus does. And I I feel like Mass Effect is also... And maybe this is something we never talked about as much as we should have, but it's very good about party balance. Like, the idea that Mm -hmm. you have all these different characters that aren't just unique in their... Uh, composition like you know as who they are as characters but they're unique within the archetypes of each class mm. and, and of each like play style that they fit you know rex is going to act a lot differently than tally will than ashley will than uh you know garris or morden or thane would they all have very distinct archetypes that they fall under and and that's a little bit of the benefit of the fact that mass effect is working with a lot more classes and their classes i mean something honestly that i'd like to see um and stop me again you know it's for some reason i have trouble remembering a lot about inquisition but uh i like that in mass effect you have kind of this triangle of you know weapons biotics and tech and all you have those three classes but then you also have kind of the in-between points Mm -hmm. between each one that you can play as right and i would almost like to see the next dragon age do something like that where they say Mm -hmm. let's find a midway point what's between mage and warrior what's between rogue and mage what's between rogue and warrior yeah and let's there are some archetypes within the classes that sort of explore that you know a duelist plays a little bit more like a warrior than a shadow rogue would but mage has always kind of existed off to the side Mm. and i i would really like to see that explored because i think it could not just open up like the Mm. way that the combat flows but and you know options in combat but it would open up the way that they can design these characters so it makes more sense to diversify your party right and
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think, like, so the thing is, I think that that sort of, like, diversity in class and, like, the uh, play styles you have can exist, like, as the game exists now for, like, the player character. I don't think that they ever give you, like, or at least not in in Dragon Age 2. Like, when we get to Inquisition, maybe we'll see some, some diversity on that front. But, like, I don't think you can make it where, like, say, Anders could maybe... Like, I don't think it's possible to spec him out in a way that makes him, like, viable as, like, a sword user or something. But I think if you, like, really mess with the stats of, like, Hawk, I think you can make it where, like, you can be a mage that uses a sword. But, like, it also, by doing that, you, like, by design sort of undermine, like, what your character is actually built to do. So I don't think it's necessarily worth it.
0: Yeah, I'd want to see that stuff rewarded in a way. To say, like, you have gone out of your way to constrain yourself to a certain... Archetype and really master it. So let's reflect that. Let's let you be powerful in that way that you want to be powerful. Uh, Because you're playing a PvE game. Like, you know, you're not having to balance for PvP in any sense in this game. So the end goal should always be that the user ends up feeling rewarded and even powerful for the things that they do, not constrained by the choices they make. That's, that's like one of my let's say broader design beliefs is that i think a game should not constrain you but reward you for exploring different avenues Hmm. if you make dumb choices you make dumb choices but it should never try to pigeonhole you in ways and yeah and i think the way that they've
1: just sort of like handled that is to have more diversity within those specific classes because like you can Like, as, like, say, a mage, you can have a radically different playstyle than, like... Yes, yeah. Because, like, me and Anders, like, we, our party does not have, like, basically two identically functioning characters, but there is, like, a sense of, like, you don't get a whole ton of experimentation on that front. It's more like all these different abilities that you want to work together, you have to find, like, the very specific uh, party makeup that makes that possible, rather than being able to kind of, like, you know, mess with it and make it your own that way.
0: And, and, like, speaking of Anders, and this is my segue also into talking about Anders, but, because we're done with Sebastian, we're going to dump him. We'll talk about him some other time. Uh-huh. Maybe he redeems himself in his last companion quest. I don't know. Find out. <laughs> um, but with Anders, uh, in this game specifically, he ends up being a mainstay of my party, even though I don't want him to be all the time. But because healing is so... I feel strict in this game. You Mm -hmm. have to make certain choices. And also... (sighs) Anders specifically is heavily rewarded for specking into a healing Mm playstyle. Meryl is heavily rewarded for specializing in damage dealing. Uh, Meryl has Wrath of the Elven. Uh, Anders has all of his healing bonuses and things like that. Uh, they're each kind of in their in their companion tree at least. Told like this is what this character is supposed to do. The same way that I feel Fenris ends up naturally gravitating towards being a uh, berserker slash barbarian style <laughs> warrior versus right. being a sword and board in the way that Aveline is. Um, but with Anders specifically, um, it's it's very interesting he's god i have so many thoughts on anders Mm. and i'm like trying to gather them and a lot of them i can't talk about yet we won't be able to talk about some of them until the very end of this series that's how far-reaching anders influence is though maybe when we have a guest on for our final anders episode we might say uh partition out a portion of the podcast to do spoiler talk with said guest because i feel like it will be (laughs) somewhat necessary at that point for us to air some things out (laughs) if only to gather our thoughts for the final episode. But um, with Anders, our our first mission with him after we start in the time skip is we go to visit his clinic. And if, uh, if Isabella is recruited and not in our party at the time we walk in and there's kind of a comical exchange there about <laughs> uh, diseases that could be mm-hmm. caught through certain activities. Uh, wow. And if, if we have Isabella in the party, or if we've not recruited her, um, it'll instead be Seneschal Bran, which I actually find extremely funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I kind of wish that was universal... Um we had we had Natalie on here not that long ago to talk about Isabella as a character and um kind of the ways that she embraces and, and in some ways diverts that classic stereotype of uh of that of that woman. But it's uh having Isabella here was like I was somewhere between oh, that's kinda of funny and oh that's kinda of weird. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm still I'm I still don't know where I fall on it. <laughs> somewhere all around. But um as as we talk to them we we get to know them we get to know anders a little bit more anders slash vengeance slash whatever anders really is because at this point we are aware of his well no no no, sorry that's in descent where we get like full confirmation Am am i getting my my stuff out of order here ken yes Maybe. Um, <laughs> Actually
1: not you didn't finish the sentence. I don't know. Yeah, no, that. I'm
0: i t- I'm trying to I'm trying to remember specifically when we have the discussion about what uh justice is. And I guess at this point so I did this mission before I did Merrill's mission. So it made a little bit more sense that I knew what was up with justice. But I guess theoretically you could do Merrill's mission before you do anders mission and so then you would meet justice that way i was just thinking about it in terms of that like when you first kind of really meet justice uh because we get the glimpse of him in anders recruitment mission in act one but that's more kind of like oh i've got some weird spirit power in me but here in anders act two quest we actually get experience with justice we get to see him in action uh Mm. and so yeah, I, I I think this is we we get to learn a little bit more about him here. So, um, I'm all you f- you flirted with Anders here, right? How did how did this all yeah. go? Flirting with Anders in the clinic.
1: So the weird thing. Okay, so as I said before, I am at this point my my hawk is this chaotic, horny mess. So he's kind of flirting with everybody, not having a lot of stakes and anything. He says, despite the fact that like Anders is like the most intense human being in this fucking game where, like, everything you talk to him about is, like, really high stakes, like, really important shit. And then I'm just kind of like, what if I made got you flustered for a second by flirting with you and didn't really, you know, have much ton of investment in it at the time, but it's just kind of like how... Basically, like, how Isabella flirts with Hawk or anybody, really. Just, like, how can I, like, lessen the tension of everything we're talking about by being an obnoxious flirt? because um, a lot of that is like he does worry that like the Templars are coming after him or that they're like scouting the place out looking for him or other people and you know you can kind of flirt like oh you you know you need another you need, you need to be find somewhere else like maybe there's another place that you could possibly go like you know implying that we could go to my place and things like that and uh, right at least at this point like he's just getting progressively more paranoid about the Templars and Things that they might or might not be doing to mages in the gallows, and that kind of leads us into his actual quest, like which is descent, where he has received word that there's like a kind of like a splinter faction of the templars that are using tranquility as like a punishment for mm-hmm. like the bare minimum yeah. of like grievances.
0: Yeah, he he learns about uh, Sir Alric, who is basically using the something that he, he has heard called the Tranquil Solution, a mm. secret plot to turn all mages and Thedas into Tranquil, starting with Kirkwall. And uh, Anders is like so paranoid at this point that he's going like, maybe even the Grand Cleric has something to do with it. And he's just like really spinning mm. out of control. Um, and so this whole mission is kind of us helping him, but also trying to um like get him to i don't know like temper his his anger right like mm. or at least focus it in a way that is healthy for him because i the thing about anders that i i keep coming back to is that as this game goes on hawk is a character who tries Hawk and Anders are both characters that try to affect change in Kirkwall, right? Right. And as Hawk grows deeper into the systems of Kirkwall, Anders grows further away from them. And I feel mm. that is ultimately what results in the thing that happens at the end of the game. And so in that sense, like Anders' story is one of like Ostra's. Aust- ostracization there we go we got there (laughs) um of of just being ostracized throughout uh an entire course of like years uh Mm. he feels further and further distant from the things that are happening he feels like you know in some ways like I, i look at what's happening here and i can almost see the resentment that anders might feel that year after year uh he sees more of his friends go missing and then he sees his his supposed friends like like hawk and the gang are somewhat working with the templars and somewhat not working with the templars and that just makes him angry and anger and sometimes he's along for the party and he has to listen to them make choices and i i don't know i just part of me almost wishes there was a way to play this game from the viewpoint of anders and see what that's like because I do feel like there's yeah. a duality happening there
1: between Hawk and Anders, and I mean it, this, there is like a, it's a genuine question by the end of this like who was the main protagonist of this game like exactly and that's like I think I think the game makes like a pretty clear answer to that by the end but you know we'll get there
0: yeah and yeah yeah we will address all that but in in essence that makes Anders like one of the one of the more <laughs> He's one of the more interesting, but he's also one of the more controversial characters in, mm-hmm. I, I'd say, Bioware games. Period. And yeah, that's, like
1: that's
0: fair. You ask, you ask anyone who plays Bioware games, like anyone, even anyone who's just played Dragon Age, and you ask them their opinion on Anders, it's never going to be middle of the road. It's always like, oh, Anders is great, or fuck Anders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's it, he's a polarizing character in some ways, and um, ultimately, I think that speaks to a well-made character because at least he inspires passion in some way rather than just being Sebastian. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) um, as we go searching... So, fun fact, by the way, uh, you can actually tell Anders that you're not going to help him Mm -hmm. with this Ulrich situation. And that not only locks out, you know, his future armor upgrades and stuff, but it also locks out his Act 3 companion quest. Um, It's... and i love what the the dragon age wiki here which we use to help us with with planning out the flow of our episodes and stuff And, and there's a great line that i wanted to shout out here it says um it says all the things that you lock out by not doing the quest and it ends with thus it is not wise to refuse the quest for the sole purpose of evading a paltry plus five to friendship (laughs) and i love the idea that there's somebody who wants so badly to rivalry anders that they're like i can't take that plus five to friendship (laughs) um that's funny to me because you can get much more by the end of this quest anyways um if you want to go that rival route so as we go through the caverns and such we go down to the gallows dungeon and we fight our way on through many many men and monsters um we we can actually so there there's a few things that happen here that i think are interesting to point out so as we fight our way through we eventually come upon sir ulric who has cornered a runaway mage named ella uh who who has been sneaking out of the circle. Uh, she's trying to just go visit her her parents uh, you know sh- they she thinks they're worried she's worried and now Auric is starts to threaten making her tranquil um, Anders as this is happening Anders kind of loses control and and turns into justice and starts to attack the templar mm. and we do have to kill Auric uh, that is the thing that happens and fun fact if you're not skilled the the justice ability yet by this point you get a free point in it <laughs> happy birthday oh <laughs> um yeah i did not know that and then i looked that up and i was like oh but that i was like oh, no, i don't know i kind of wanted that skill anyways who cares uh we're already pre i'm pretty power leveled by this point so uh, i'm already down in enemy groups with the greatest of ease so after we have killed the templar who are you know the ultimate goal of Anders' anger and in many ways like you can justify the fight that breaks out there but then justice continues to burn and rage on and you can try to calm it and then ella calls justice a demon which just makes him mad and so he turns on ella and starts to say like oh you're just like the templar you need to um understand you don't understand uh you can make one choice here if you are at a certain level of either friendship or rivalry to say don't hurt her and they'll stop it otherwise Anders will kill Ella um I find that particularly interesting that there there is like a way that comes out of this that you kill Ella otherwise Anders kind of recovers and Ella runs off and you can kind of try to 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 cool it over and be cool about it or just be like hey you need to go back to the circle or hey that's how that's what a freaking demon looks like (laughs) don't get don't get infested by a demon um but anders anders takes off after the whole thing uh just kind of shaken by it we can search Ulrich's body and find that he was indeed planning a tranquil solution but not only the divine but the knight commander as well both passed on it saying that it was not a good idea um ultimately this all comes together in um so i I will say this we can also confront the grand cleric with this and it results in a very interesting conversation uh which kind of maybe sheds a little bit more light on how much the church sucks but Mm. (laughs) um Cause she takes a very centrist approach and it's like, well, you know, sometimes yeah. I, I think we've talked about it on this yeah. podcast already, but sometimes, you know, we got to let the children fight and figure it out themselves. And I'm like, that's not how that works. But mm-hmm. um, ultimately we come back to Anders and we can either talk about what happens or we can show him the papers. I showed him the papers right away mm-hmm. to try and just like put his mind at ease. Be like, look, this, the system is working in some way. Like it may not be the best And you may not enjoy it, but at least it's not as, like, terrible as you think it is. Um, Did you do the same as well? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we, we get to have a conversation with him where we can either, you know, try to befriend him and talk a little bit and figure things out. But eventually, it will always come come around to he will ask if you want him to leave, and this is actually a case where Anders can now leave the party, um, which is interesting. I, I was thinking about it in in this way. At this point, I think by the end of Act Two, you can have like three characters leave your party. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name some of them, but uh, we've already talked about how Fenris can leave the party and also anders can leave the party at this point so i find that (laughs) yeah yeah i find that that interesting because i've never thought about like you know obviously dragon age had a lot of ways like origins had a lot of ways that characters could leave the party as well whether through death or just like conflict even you know like you have to end up fighting them dragon age 2 ends up having a lot of similar things but it doesn't solve them through combat which i find interesting the ways that the characters leave the party in this one are actually just you make a decision and then you part ways and i find that interesting that origins is like no if they're going to leave the party you have to kill them and stuff like that Mm -hmm. whereas here in two it's like no we're our paths are differing and we need to separate like we're not we're not hang out bodies go on adventure anymore um ken tell me how you felt about this sort of large large piece of getting a sense of anders and his internal conflict
1: so because of how i play this game and because i am a petty gay who lives for drama this <laughs> is like i always do all of Anders stuff after i've done all of Fenris stuff so i am in that point where my hawk and my fenris are broken up and it's watching, like, two people that are, like, both fucked up in their own certain ways, like, coming together. Because Anders is messed up about the fact that he almost killed an, killed a mage. He can't control this thing inside of him. And meanwhile, my hawk is dealing with a breakup, which was basically already, like, an abusive relationship in the first place. So I come mm-hmm. in here and, like, just... I've always imagined my hawk, who's been, you know... Like, I, I play the humorous hawk of this character that is supposed to be mostly... I mean, not necessarily he doesn't care about what's going on, but, like, he's supposed to mostly, like, feel like he's at arm's length with basically anything that's going on. And so, okay, I I do flirt with him, and then eventually, like, he's trying to be vulnerable, and, like, I am still kind of, like, doing the humorous flirting shit, and I'm like... Like, there's there's a point where, like, he's finally like, I want to kiss you, and then you tell him to do it. And then I say... He says, if we were to die tomorrow, I wouldn't want it to be before I got to do that. And I was like, oh, so you're ready to die now? Is that what you mean? And like... Kind of, like, deflecting everything that's going on, and it's like a it gets to the point where I finally like do get to the actual romance scene where he comes into the Hawk estate and like does I make a joke about how justice is in the like basically like an unwilling participant in our threesome. But then Andrew says something about long, he says something like, I thought you and Fenris, though, or did he finally turn on you? And like, I have that moment where I like, I make my Hawk like be like, Why did you have to say that name? Why did you have to bring this all back? Why did you have to, like, wake me up from why I'm doing all this shit? And then so Andrews leaves, you know, you know, clearly sad about what has happened and angry that I let him on. But it also, like, puts me in a position where I'm like, my character of Hawk needs to be, I guess, a little bit more careful about the way that he has been this chaotic force within all of his friends' lives. And it's, like, not that like, my character isn't already, like, radicalized about, like, the state of the, you know... The mages and templars and wanting to support andrus but it's like there's always gonna there's always like a part of me that takes the side of mages so vehemently because like I feel like I'm trying to make it up to somebody that I hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of like, I guess how I would label Hawk and andrew's relationship, I always kind of have, I guess that there's that other wrinkle to it. Then it comes with like just me being like so up the ass of these games. Like I basically write a whole like novel of like how I. <laughs> like, the the lengths at which I go in terms of, like, how I kind of, like, perceive this world and these characters. And, like, how I insert parts of myself into uh, the way that I make these characters interact with the world. Um, but going back to what I said last week, I kind of cooled on the Fender's relationship just as, like, as a person. Even if I do, like, this whole love triangle story that I weave. But, um... I don't know that the Anders one is a whole lot better and, like, really, it's just, like, who, which man am I going to help deal with his fucking bullshit? And I just kind of want to be like, why don't you guys just go to therapy or something? Um <laughs> But it, it is, like, a sad... It 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 makes everything that happens moving forward with Anders have, like, a completely different like tone and color to it than it did before. And... You know he got caught up in like the, the stupid drama of my chaotic hawk but it does just kind of it makes him a, like a more tragic character for me in the long run
0: i can see that in the way that like I mean, romance ultimately like ends up playing a lot in how you see anders as a character i think because i was looking ahead to what our last quest is here that we talk about uh questioning beliefs and you know everyone has this quest at some point and except sebastian because he never questions his beliefs and that's why he sucks but
1: (laughs) sebastian doesn't have a question (laughs) of belief throwing it out there
0: well okay look he didn't have one now so (laughs) uh it's done with now he didn't get one anymore uh so anders if you are platonic with him is incredibly brief you just kind of like, hey, man, how's... I? Okay, especially if you're friendshipping, You're just like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, I'm laying out milk for the cats. Thanks for being such a bro. And I'm like, you too, man, you're you're great. All good and take off and that's it. Uh, if you're rivalry, it's like, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, I'm writing the manifesto. And <laughs> you can be yeah. like, huh, I don't like that. Or, huh, I support that. And that's kind of how that that ends although his rival his rivalry thing does go a little bit deeper it's a little bit more mm. yeah, intriguing it, if you are taking the rivalry route where right. you can really like argue with him and debate him and talk with him about justice and things like that mm. but especially if your friendship platonic with him this was the shortest quest i've had yet where i just mm. kind of walked them i was like hey how's it going good i'm being the cats all right cool keep being you and walked off and i was like i i can almost see now probably the way that people engage with Anders has so much to do with whether they've ever tried to delve more into his character, not just through romance, but through rivalry mm-hmm. and through other ways of seeing his story play out. Yep. Because I think in some ways, and we talked about this with Merrill too, but friendship often results in this like tacit endorsement of whatever they do, even when it gets crazy. Like Natalie, loves posting that that image of yeah but not a terrorist Chris. <laughs> uh, but that is that is what it is and and like with with anders it's like you want to learn more about him you want to learn what makes him tick and it ends up making it more of an interesting story in the long run if you do but if you aren't going down those routes then you end up with a character that you get to the end and you're like what the hell how did this happen
1: mm.
0: <laughs> uh i remember
1: playing dragon
0: age 2 i was like what the fuck man <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: and i think like and we'll obviously talk about this in act three but like the length that this character goes in or i guess the ways in which this character's story just based on french and ravi is probably the most starkly different and can go in some places I think are mm-hmm. probably not earned like in the grand scheme of things um but it, it was always shocking to me like because I I always pursued a friendship with him just because you know I'm totally down <laughs> with the freedom of mages but to go and like watch the ways in which this can go if your rivals it's fucking dark and almost like like more tragic than this character already is yeah it's
0: yeah at some point i'm going to play this game and i'm going to make myself play rivalry and i'm going to see how that stuff develops even though i it's really difficult for me to force myself to be a mean hawk uh but i do appreciate that at least there is a depth to some of the stuff especially the rivalry stuff because i mean the other thing i keep coming back to is that i think if you approach this game coming from a from a mass effect standpoint, then you're going to kind of contextualize this as Paragon Renegade, right? And you're going Mm -hmm. to see blue and you're going to see red and you're going to associate that with Paragon Renegade in some way. And as we know from the numbers that have come out, there's kind of been dissenting reports over the years, but by and large Paragon players were the majority Mm. of players. Most people were going Paragon. Uh, And, That makes me, I'm part of that group. I go Paragon. It's hard for me to go Renegade. Look, do I make Renegade choices sometimes? Yeah, but I'm ultimately a Paragon. You know, I'm just a Paragon who likes to get a little frisky sometimes, but I'm not that spicy because I ultimately, even when I'm playing a video game, I still have that, like, pang of, oh, well, I can't make that choice. That might make that character (laughs) feel bad. (laughs) I can't separate myself in that way. Uh, And so, yeah, it's like I'll never see the renegade ending of Tachanka Never. In my entire life. Because that's not a renegade ending. That's just a bad ending. (laughs) But... um, yeah, Anders. It's so hard to talk about him sometimes because I feel like he is a character who is embodied by his entire journey, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's—it's so fascinating that this character that was just a DLC character from Dragon Age Origins ends up becoming such a central piece to what Dragon Age Two is by the end of it. And th- this point that we're at now, that we're done with these quests, is is we're moving into what the end game of Act Two is, which is like the resolution of the Canari. Threat, as they call it, the Canari uh, opposition to the the Viscount's rule, and we we get to see how some of these escalating tensions finally play out, and also how that ends up creating even more escalating tensions between the Templar and the Mages, which will play out in Act Three. But this is. We're getting towards some really interesting parts of the story that are going to start asking some real questions, and I feel like we're at the part of the game where Dragon Age Two starts taking its biggest swings, mm-hmm. especially in Act Three. It really starts swinging for the fences in Act Three, and I'm not sure it hits it every time. Mm-hmm. And as I'm working my way through the game uh, now with my playthrough, even now I'm still going like, okay, well this part's really really good, and this part's uh, not so much. And but man. It's just a game to be playing right now, I think. Mm. It feels topical in a way that I have trouble describing sometimes, but it's making me really just question a lot of things about myself and giving me, like, better context for understanding the world with, and Mm. also it's just, it's a rewarding game to critique. I feel like we talked about this with, like, Mass Effect Andromeda as well, where it's i didn't enjoy playing mass effect andromeda but i enjoyed discussing mass effect andromeda Mm. i enjoyed breaking that game down and understanding it's good and it's bad in a further like at a further level and i i enjoy dragon Age 2 way 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 more I, i don't get me wrong i really enjoy playing this game i enjoy the act of playing this game but i do feel like it's also more rewarding now to not just be playing through it, but to be like pushing myself to appreciate what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all my way of saying, can I enjoy
1: doing this podcast with you? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks uh, for agreeing to it two years ago.
0: I know, right? It's been God, it's been so long, and, and we've kept it going thanks to the wonderful support of our patrons at Patreon.com/slash If you want to head over there, you can also support us there. Helps keep the lights on helps uh, pay for our SoundCloud subscription and all that good stuff. And if you keep pushing us up towards those higher tiers, we just cleared the Jade Empire one. So at the conclusion of Dragon Age, we will move on to Jade Empire. We will talk more about that schedule when we get to it, because right now it's looking like Dragon Age will take us through the end of this year, if there is an end to this year. <laughs> and God uh, Yeah, God willing. Uh And once we get on the other side, we'll talk about what Jade Empire will look like. But if you want to push this even further, if you want to get Knights of the Old Republic on the schedule, if you want to get uh, Anthem on the schedule, if you want to get a fan-voted game on the schedule, if you wanted to keep going to that level... You can head over to Patreon.com slash NormDFM. Or if times are tough right now, if you don't have that free income to give away, you can head over to Twitter.com slash NormDFM show. You can follow us there where we share all of our episodes as well as funny memes and all the content that Ken and I produce in our own separate uh, works and you know just whatever else we feel like sometimes you know every once in a while we just want to chip post on the normandy fm account and that's the sort of energy we put out there and that's the energy we want to you know share with you we want you to feel that energy in, in this time so as always we also thank our wonderful backers who do back us at a certain level to get that shout out every week so our wonderful backers as i pull up the list kevin kulikowski jenny Wu chris johns anthony Mathias, alice hawk colin just Colin, just reds and just thank you all so much justice thanks you too you're on the side of justice for packing us thank y'all so much and uh ken next week we're jumping into all that remains and we will be going from all that remains to all that remains of act two uh we've got a lot to cover there will be the air shock there will be some intrigue some murder perhaps some sadness some joy and overall uh we're some deserting on... pirate ladies some some what sorry
1: deserting pirate
0: ladies deserting pirate i thought you said deserving power ladies and i was mm-hmm. like are we playing sailor moon like what's going on here mm-hmm. um and we will also have a guest ken we've locked that in right we've got that set mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will have Amy Hart back on the show. We're so excited to have her. She'll be joining us once more to talk all that remains. Uh, And then we'll be going on to act three. We've got, God, we don't have that much left, Ken. I know it. Why are we breezing
1: through this game? (laughs) Time has lost all meaning. We've been in quarantine the entire time we've been on this game.
0: Oh God, you're right. Oh, good Lord. Oh, wow. Mm. I'm suddenly coping with that fact. I mean, we'll probably be in quarantine for all this game, Ken. But that's what we want. If we had to be locked up with a game, let it be Dragon Age 2. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Normal.
1: We have watched and waited.